Get ready to listen, learn, and earn CE hours. This podcast features content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Hi, everyone. My name is Faith Roberts, and I'll be your host for this Elite Learning podcast series entitled Making Sense of Dollars and Cents, Finance, Budgeting, and Staffing Skills for Nurse Leaders. Throughout this series, we'll discuss building skills that are central to a nurse leader's success, including return on investment, staffing, which will be covered today, capital, which we covered in uh, session one, employee engagement and retention, and how all of this affects patient safety. Finance remains for many of us something that is not easily a skill set, easily in our skill set. And we're positive that if you can take a moment for yourself with this series of podcasts covering all of these topics, that we can help ease some of that for you and show you that it is a skill set that can be developed and absolutely one that you can feel comfortable with. You know, in my own practice as a nurse leader, whether a manager, director, executive director, I I get it. This is not easy stuff for everyone. But if you were with us on session one, you've already seen how our speaker is able to take complexity and make it into uh, a series of steps that all of us can master without uh, getting too upset in the process. So for decades, many of us were isolated from the actual development of budget monthly reports. And then the end result of that was that nurses were not at the table when decisions were being made. Whether working within the constraints of a budget for a state entity or the detailed specifics of a donor grant, finance-related aspects of healthcare are a valuable component of a nurse leader's skill set. Today, a solid knowledge base of finance will help nurse leaders obtain what their area needs, as well as be open to creating different staff mixes based on their understanding of how a budget works. Today's session, for the nurse leader who is listening, who's wondering why they cannot get positions approved, today's session We'll talk about the actual staffing and scheduling, how we look at FTEs, and how, with these skills and knowledge, we can be more creative in our staff mix. So there are certain trends that we see with finance, and one that I I think about all the time is over the years when I ask people about finance, they kind of fall into uh, three different groups. I don't do numbers. My one-up does it for me. Lucky me. Or the group that says, I have a peer who really likes this stuff, so they do mine for me. And then finally, the person who says, no one prepared me for this, and it was not covered in orientation. I'm responsible for a $5 million budget, 
And I I don't even know how to find it on the accounting section of our leader site. So regardless of your circumstances or motivation, it's clear that to be a well-rounded and effective leader, finance and budgeting are among the skills a nurse leader must master. 20 years ago, I met today's guest, Pamela Hunt, at a national conference for nurse leaders. She had mesmerized an audience while speaking about a budget. I'm not kidding you. She was talking about a budget. Her knowledge of staffing, ROI, and how to build a case for a capital purchase was unbelievable. Since then, Pam and I have traveled to many conferences and enjoy a close friendship. Pamela Hunt is an expert on finance in healthcare. She speaks all over the country at professional or for professional organizations and state and national workshops, conferences. She's authored articles and co-authored books about finance in the world of healthcare. And in 2020, Pamela Hunt was named a fellow in the American Academy of Nursing. You can read more about her background, education, and experience in the notes that accompany this session. So today, session two. Welcome, Pam. I'm looking forward to talking with you, but before we get uh, started on uh, the challenges and solutions of helping our workforce and how we get those schedules put together and what they cost to put together. I would love to hear your thoughts on why for so long putting a schedule together was taken out of the nurse leader's hands and perhaps in many facilities done by a department uh, that had nothing to do with patient care. In other words, all of the schedules for the facility followed a cyclical uh, pattern and did not allow for individual unit budgets and leaders owning that budget. Well, thank you, Faith, for that definitely great setup to why this topic is important. and. One of the reasons, to, to answer your question, one of the reasons that organizations thought the best process was to have a centralized uh, scheduling and that it was, you know, every, every schedule should look the same is because we thought that that was efficient. Uh, why, why wouldn't that be efficient? We know the average number of people that you need, uh, what the skill mix is, we'll just plug in the numbers. But as when, when I teach finance, I want to inspire nurse leaders to understand that clinical decision-making is involved in financial decisions. What? That doesn't make sense. Clinical decision-making is necessary to make accurate financial decisions. Let me tell you why. Any nurse leader can tell you that you cannot have all of your novice nurses on one shift together. Any nurse leader will tell you that you cannot have all of your senior nurses that like to work together 
uh, on the same weekend rotation. So while it looks like a numbers game, it's not a numbers game. It's a numbers game with clinical decision-making and with employee satisfaction sprinkled in there as well. I, I think, you know, we're going to talk today about the challenges of what the workforce looks like today. And when we think about it, interesting, I just spoke with a hospital system this week and what they want help in is they want help in unraveling some of the incentives that have been put into place. So you and I both know that where we're going to have to go with that is what keeps nurses outside of salary. And uh, that this is this is a, a next talk talk coming up specifically. But when I think about one of the things that keeps nurses outside of salary is schedule. So being on a unit that has enough nurses, that has the right skill mix, that has the uh, and when I say right, I mean the skill mix that matches the needs of the patient and that has uh, the, uh, in that the schedule allows me to have a life outside of work are elements that are gonna keep nurses at the bedside. So uh, does, does that answer your question of uh, why it's more than just a computer data entry? Absolutely, it does. It really helps to take a moment and remember that schedule has a, a dual focus. It is very much, we hope, a staff satisfier uh, because it is so important to them. But I love that you started with, it's about clinical decision making and we have to have the right nurse for the patient. So I appreciate that. Okay. Well, thanks uh, again for that provocative question uh, that gets us going in this subject and maybe maybe does a hook for those of you who are listening that think, I am not going to listen to how to do a schedule. Uh, this does not excite me. Uh, stay with me. Stay with me. Um, so, you know, I'm going to start with the question that's on everybody's mind right now. And uh, I'm gonna start with the question of where are the nurses? Uh, we are having a challenge like we've never seen in the history of our profession to deliver quality care in today's challenging times. Uh, when I, I, I just wanna, I'm not, I, I don't wanna be a, a, a downer here, but I wanna, I want to set the stage. I, I want to be realistic so that you understand that I understand the challenges that you're facing today in trying to get uh, trying to get staff for your unit. Uh, let me just say some of the things that you already know. Uh, the reduction of surgery caused delays in urgent and semi-elective surgical interventions. We know that so that this was a result of worsening patient care. 
uh, we uh, not only did that cause severe financial damage to our organizations, but we know that the patients that we see coming in on a surgical floor are much more acute and have higher acuity than what they did pre-pandemic because they've waited for their procedures. Uh, opening surgical capacity to protect from harm and reduce financial uh, impact uh, was, was necessary, but it certainly created capacity issues for all of our units. There's an estimated 7.3 million U.S. workers and family members that lost their employee-based health insurance in the last year and therefore access to care. Uh, so, you know, just, just realizing what we've been through, supply shortages. You know, I don't have to, to tell you about supply shortages, but I want to inspire you to give yourself grace to the fact that why, why are supply shortages important to us besides, you know, workforce safety, patient safety? Uh, supply shortages have taken an exorbitant amount of leader and staff time hunting, gathering, securing supplies that pre-pandemic were at our fingertips. Pharmaceuticals, just, uh, you know, our, our, our partners and uh, certainly pharmacists are our partners, but also the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, I think this is interesting for us to, to realize that the pandemic has caused a delay in generic competitor agents so that they're not coming to the market. You know, resources have been spent elsewhere developing uh, medications and vaccines for the pandemic virus. So the top drug expenditures in 2020 were 22.1 billion. And uh, there are, it is estimated that that's only going to increase because of the delay in generic uh, development over the next few years. Uh, studies predict that nursing staff will be better paid in the future, uh, which, which we're seeing that. And there is so much chatter on social media right now about who should or who should not have input on staffing salaries. Uh, I'm not going there with you today. I'm going to talk about staffing. So uh, that's that. That would be a whole nother uh, podcast if we talked about uh, the value of nursing and staffing salaries. So uh, some other impacts uh, over time, uh, especially I want to talk about clinics. Uh, so outpatient areas, uh, more than inpatient areas now. So over time is going to be reduced or eliminated in order to save cost. I think that uh, in many organizations, networks, systems, clinics aren't maybe pressed as much to save cost as what maybe some inpatient areas are looked at because of the large expenditure in inpatient areas. But overtime uh, clinics are going to be looked at for their overtime to reduce or eliminate cost. 
A lot of clinics are going to a model where the caregivers or the, the staff in that clinic must take vacation time for low volume time. So if the physician is taking a vacation and there's not enough partners in the practice to uh, continue patient flow, the staff may have to take vacation at the same time as their practitioner. That's not common in the past in many areas. And the increase in virtual visits impacts the number of in-clinic in providers and caregivers needed. You know, uh, virtual visits may not take front office staff like we are accustomed to. So uh, clinic changes coming down the pike for us. Let's talk specifically about some staffing impacts. Pre-pandemic, so in 2019, uh, it was estimated that approximately 70,000 nurses are retiring annually. That was pre-pandemic statistic. Uh, nursing leadership will bear a disproportionate loss because of the greater percentage of nurse leaders that are reaching retirement age. Surgical services and those procedural services, their pre-pandemic age, average age was 49. Let's think of something else. Caregivers who did not need to work financially. Now, some of you may think, who would do that? But there are caregivers, uh, especially part-time, that we're picking up some part-time work uh, because it's hard. Once you have worked as a nurse your whole career, take it from somebody who knows, that knows that they want to transition to part-time, it's hard just to walk away. So those caregivers who did not need to work financially are leaving the acute care environment. I don't have to tell you this, agency wages are at an all-time high. Sign-on bonuses, you know, we could go all across the board. I'm seeing sign-on bonuses as high as $55,000 for a med surge nurse. $55,000 sign-on bonus for a med surge nurse. Units are staffed with more temporary staffing than permanent staffing. What does that do to our, you know, our philosophy in nursing that you build a good team? And part of being a good team and a strong team and a high-functioning team is knowing each other's strengths and weaknesses. How does the fact that more of the staff working this shift are temporary than permanent impact the quality of care in your unit. Models of care are being redesigned. We have revisited and rediscussed and re-researched such things as functional nursing, team nursing, how do we work, everyone work to the top of their skill set, what's really in our Nurse Practice Act that is a nursing responsibility versus what is can be delegated, those questions are being reevaluated as we search for ways to do this differently. I want to share with you some startling statistics. If what I already have shared isn't enough, right? Here's some startling statistics. Uh, RN vacancy rate. 
So currently, and, and let me give you a reference for this, there is a an annual National Healthcare Retention and RN Staffing Report that comes out. So this report is 2021's report, and uh, we're actually recording this podcast in uh, 2022, February 2022. So this is, is current data. So currently, the RN vacancy rate stands at 9.9% for an average. That's one full percentage point higher than what we were in 2020. Uh, it directly, there is research out there, evidence-based research that this directly impacts quality outcomes, patient experience, and excessive labor cost. In 2019, so just uh, in, in 2019, two years earlier, 23.7% of hospitals reported a vacancy rate of less than 10%. Listen to this. Today, 35.8% of hospitals are reporting a vacancy rate over 10%. 62% of hospitals are reporting a vacancy rate that is higher than 7.5%. Let's talk for just a minute. Remember, I, I couched this under startling statistics. This is kind of like I, I, in my doctorate program, I had a professor that said, you always want to start out with a startling statistic to get everybody's attention. I think this is getting our attention. attention. RN turnover. So huge cost. Only 50% of hospitals actually track hospital cost related to RN turnover. So if I inspire you to do anything, I want to inspire you to work with your HR department and your finance department to make sure that you're tracking RN turnover and putting that with a cost. When you want to propose a program to create retention in your facility, reducing turnover is going to be your return on investment. So it's really important to know what that turnover is. The average cost of one RN turnover, this is a national cost. Again, uh, I would direct you to the reference that will be in your, uh, in your program handouts. 28,000 to 51,000 average cost of an RN turnover. Of course, that 51's at the higher end of those departments that need higher orientation costs. And that lower uh, turnover would be in those areas that don't need as much orientation. Faith, what do you think about those statistics? Well, they are, uh, the word you use is startling. Um, I'll just go ahead and say scary. Um, but the I do have a question. Um, having worked in uh, five states over my career, I noticed that what people refer to as turnover can change drastically from facility to facility. So for instance, if I have a nurse on a med surge unit and he goes to uh, CVICU, places I've worked did not count that as turnover because they said we didn't lose that nurse to the organization. So really what they were counting on were people who were actually going out the door. Um, 
as a nurse leader in that facility, that was very frustrating because you saw a turnover. You were uh, the leader of the med surge unit that he just left. Uh, so you had feelings about not being able to have that statistic. Um, when you say turnover, or it is uh, coming out in these reports, what is the definition that they're utilizing for turnover? Yeah, so uh, you bring up a really good point, Faith, and you also bring out a, a really frustrating, frustrating uh, topic. So uh, turnover in healthcare is oftentimes associated with just that leaving the organization. And I'll go a bit further than that. I will say that uh, turnover and vacancy rate, I'll go back to vacancy rate as well. I'm currently working with a hospital that we're working with the HR department to define vacancy rate differently than what they're currently defining it. Vacancy rate now I'm going to I'm gonna I'm gonna preface this with this is my opinion. Vacancy rate is not how many open positions I have compared to the budget. Vacancy rate is looking at your last four pay periods and what was your average need of FTEs in that last four pay period compared to how many FTEs you have on your staffing roster or your position control. I say that because some people have, some individuals, leaders, have positions on their budget that they, they don't need. They never intend to fill those positions. So it gives a false sense of vacancy. So we're working with that HR department to say, no, vacancy isn't the difference between the budget and the position control. But vacancy is the difference between the actual position control or staffing roster, who I actually have, versus what my average current need is. So I want to clarify vacancy right there. That is ideal. Uh, because you want to make it real, right? You want it to be something that is meaningful. So now let's go to turnover. You are absolutely right. And most hospitals, most organizations create turnover data based on leaving the organization. If, if I could wave that magic wand, I would like to see turnover by unit, even though they do not leave the organization. Now, with that understanding, and I know this would take lots of resources. With that understanding, one of the things that we would have to take into consideration is that when somebody leaves, let's say let's that med surge uh, leader that we always love because they they get the the nurses in, they they uh, teach them organizational skills and you know how to pass meds and and the the, the very critical nursing practice and then we snatch them up in the in the specialty areas right so how do we reflect for that leader when that when that nurse goes from med surge to a critical care department we cannot accept total turnover for that uh, the cost if you're tying that to dollars 
because obviously that nurse is already oriented to the organization. They already have um, many, many skills mastered at that area. So what would be ideal if there were enough HR resources to help us with tracking those interdepartmental turnovers and still putting costs to those so that we understand what that means as well. I think also, Faith, to your point and to the question, not tracking those turnovers could hide some problems that need to be addressed and maybe some uh, skills and education that needs to occur. So what I'm thinking of here is it may, if, if we don't track those interdepartmental transfers, we could maybe uh, not have visualization to a department leader who is lead, losing a lot of caregivers and maybe needs some uh, extra attention in that leader's uh, skill set to understand why people are leaving, not only for a different nursing practice. Um, does that help? That helps a lot. Thank you very much. You are welcome. And those are those are great questions that we all struggle with. Uh, one more statistic here before uh, I leave this turnover uh, data. And again, these are all in your handouts. Um, for each percentage change of our end turnover, remember I said that there was 1% uh, more vacancy rate uh, one year from last year. For each percent of our end turnover, it will cost the average hospital $270,000 a year, 1%. This is your ROI for any uh, retention plan that you wanna put in place. Okay, so Pam has gotten us started in developing a deep understanding of the staffing challenges facing today's nursing workforce. But there's more to learn. In our next episode, she dives into not only the day-to-day -day and often frustrating challenges of staffing, but also a number of opportunities to overcome them. I hope you'll join us. This is Faith Roberts for Elite Learning. This podcast featured content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Take your learning to the next level by subscribing to more podcasts on compelling healthcare topics.